Hi, guys. Um, we are about to hear an amazing interview with a fellow doll and also incredible business owner, Carissa Ocker. And uh, we wanted to just give you a quick heads up before we jump into this episode that this episode does contain some frank discussion around con- like content like depression and death and suicidal thoughts. And so if those are triggers for you, we just wanted to be really respectful and let you know that before we dive in. So, um, you know, just a quick heads up, please be advised. Those are in this episode and uh, we're going to jump right in. Welcome to Empire Building, the podcast where we talk about building big businesses and even bigger lives. I'm your co-host, Seychelle Van Poole. And I'm Wendy Papazan. Today, we have a super special guest joining us, someone a lot of you know. Uh, She's the oversharing, multicolored hair, path is in the math, super genius of real estate, Carissa Acker. She Woo-hoo! is the founder of Real Estate by Design, the real estate team with Keller Williams in the Dallas, Texas metro area, also San Antonio. And over the years, she and her team have helped thousands of families, entertained millions with her vulnerable, candid, witty posts on social media. <laughs> uh, I love that about you, by the way. I know. I love You're that. amazing. You're amazing. And she's here today to talk about her journey these past uh, few years. So welcome, Carissa Acker. Hi. Glad to be here, ladies. Yeah. <laughs> that was a great intro. I loved it. <laughs> I know. Wendy, Wendy the wordsmith, she's great at those. So Carissa, we're so excited that you're here. And I would I would love to just kind of start at the beginning, you know, and sort of give our listeners your story. So let's start at the beginning. Tell us about Carissa Acker. Well, I um, have always been someone that was kind of open, got into real estate, swearing I would never, ever be a realtor. And yet, here I am. (laughs) Um, Has a background in foreclosures and REOs. Um, Have done some commercial real estate and doing commercial-backed securities. And started a team uh, at about six months into the business. Did all the things wrong. um, And yet, here I am. (laughs) Okay, well, so that's your real estate story. But tell us about your story. Tell us... uh... I know you grew up in a big family and where you grew up and all that stuff. Yes. Okay. So I grew up in Denton. Um, I am the oldest of five children. There's a 13-year spread between me and my youngest brother. My parents are Libra and Vicki Falcon. And I have worked with almost every single one of my family members, which is kind of interesting. Um, I don't work with all of them currently. And I have been married for 26 years. I have two children. Sydney is my oldest, um, witty, funny, crazy. My youngest, Maddie, also witty, man, rules her life and um, crazy as well. So have those two. And I also have two cats that I adore. This is a new thing, but the cats are a big deal. They are a big deal. And you know, something else that I really um, love about you too, Krissa, is you love to travel. Tell our tell our listeners about some of your travel too. Okay. I, oh gosh, that is my thing. And I think, you know, I always say, you know, if I didn't You know, I wouldn't work this hard. I wouldn't do this job if it wasn't for travel because this is, I mean, I love this job and I love my life, but it enables me this 
to really live the life of my dreams, which is really mm. traveling and meeting new people and discovering new places. And there's just something about, I don't know, just being in new places and experiencing new things. This is a big, big thing for me. And so, I mean, I think, I mean, we've been a lot of places um, and then being able to share it with our kids too. Mm. So I've been, oh my gosh, so many places, but the last place that I went, my yeah. uh, favorite place Probably Morocco. So I went to Morocco mm. um, and our driver of the plane truly looked like he had been on drugs all day, like definitely snorting coke in some bathroom. And I was like, you know what? I've always wanted to go to Africa. And if this is what it takes, I'm I am getting there. And I'm like, please, Lord, deliver me and my family to Africa. And we made it. And I remember just stepping off um, the plane and it's the middle of night in Morocco, which was not really where I thought we would go first in Africa. And I just felt it. I I had mm. dreamed about Africa since I was a little girl. I went to a Montessori school. So I don't know why. I was just always very fascinated with Africa. And I just got there and I cried. Um, I, just, I just knew that this was a place that I'd always wanted to be. And it was, I think I pretty much cried all through Morocco because it was just so amazing mm. and so different and it just it smelled different people were different the colors were different and it was just I, I mean it was just incredible and it was so diverse like I didn't know I was like beaches you know you could go skiing in Morocco the Sahara Desert I mean gosh I mean don't get me started the Sahara Desert I mean just the whole thing just amazing I'm ready to go yeah me too me too Yes, this was so, so yeah, cool. That's awesome. Well, and um, you are definitely someone who has built empires to really fund your perfect life. You know, I've see, witnessed some of your epic trips over the years. I mean, you and I have known each other for, I don't know, 10, 12 years, something like that. And that's been truly incredible. Um, well, and, and you know, tell us a little bit about, I know these last few years have kind of been a struggle for you. You know, you've you've done some amazing things, but... Um, these last few years have been tough. Yeah, they have. And I think, you know, when we're in tough places, so it's really been about like the last five years, when we're in these tough places, we think, I think we're kind of trained to think, okay, I'm getting this tough thing out of the way. So I know good things are coming. And then when another tough thing comes, you're like, wait a minute. I have known for a long time that when you go through the hard stuff, the good stuff comes. And so you're like, okay, everything is going to be better. This was just a second try. And then when it happens more, you're like, okay, <laughs> this is not right. Something's not right. And that's really, uh, I think, when you're challenged. So I guess kind of this journey had started um, actually with this group and just this desire to, to live my best life, truly to live my best life. And it really started, I think, the whole five years or six years ago started when Wendy said, look, here's the deal. I love you, but you need to know your numbers. I'm like, what? I'm like, but I'm I'm doing really well. We're doing really well. She's like, to be the leader that you need to be, you need to dive deeper. And I'm like, Dang. that's your first tough thing. Well, no, that's how it's all started. The other stuff happened. No, that was really tough though. I was like, dang it. Um, and that happened uh, about three weeks before my sister, who was our team leader in Austin for our expansion team, passed away, which was it almost exactly two years after I got really, really sick with E. coli and found out I have all these disorders that will have to be checked every three to six months 
for the rest of my life. And at the time I was 41. So at 41, when you hear, hey, guess what? You've got this thing that probably means you're going to get this disease. Um, but we caught it early. We just have to check you every, you know, every six months for the rest of your life. And you're in such a better position because now you know. I would say though, Carissa, to that point, yeah, that was like, you You make it sound like it was just kind of like a blip, but that actually was a pretty traumatic, huge thing. And you had girls in high school and a business that was growing and you were reinventing from REO into traditional side of real estate. So you had all these things going on at the same time. So when you first got the news about like the health part for you, you know, take take our listeners back to that a little bit because you can like in arrears say, well, that was a hard time, but like, that was actually a huge defining moment for you. Oh, yeah. It was a defining moment. And it was really, I think we all, especially as women, we just think that we can do it. And we push and we push and we're tired, but we don't have an option. Like we must get it done. And it was the first time in my entire life where I guess my body had failed me. And so I got E. coli. They didn't realize it for six or seven days. So I've been going to the doctor, but by the time they did realize it, my kidneys were starting to shut down. So I was very, very ill. I was hallucinating. And um, when I was in the hospital trying to recover, uh, I got a blood clot. And then they figured out that I had a blood disorder. So all of this, like at 41, I was fine. I had just gotten back from a girl's trip uh, to Fort Collins and from South America, hiking, Manchu, you know, I had just done these amazing things. We'd gone to the Galapagos. We like I, yeah, yeah, I was doing it. Like it might be hard sometimes, but I was doing it. And um, then I come back, and pretty much everything, being totally honest, feels like it goes to shit. I'm like, what the hell? This is not right. This isn't me. And and I think there is something when you are young and you have to face the fact that. My, my body no longer works right. So I think when I think about my body, it's like, you don't have to tell yourself to breathe. It's like a tool belt. Like most people that use tool belts every day, they can reach down and they know exactly where their hammer is because their hammer is always there. They can reach down, they can pick it up and they know what to do with the hammer. But when your body, you're like, I am telling my body to do this and it can't. Um, yeah. And I think I waited, I think I pushed and was good about some self-care, but not all self-care. And really the self-care that mattered, it was really more when my journey had started and I just, it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. And we didn't know for a long time what was going to happen. And because I just, you know, the doctor said, it's like babies when they have failure to thrive. Like I had that incident and I'm like, okay, I'm not in the hospital and I don't have a pick line anymore, but things just kept deteriorating. Yeah. And that was when they kind of figured out I have this other disorder um, and it's high risk because I'm 41. The average age of diagnosis is 71. Wow. And well, I know one thing how- that you mentioned during that time was like, I, I am a young person walking around in an older person's body right now. Yes, because you get put on blood thinners for a year. And if you want to, you know, if you want to feel like you're an old person, like, you look bruised up everywhere. And then, you know, anytime people are like, what's, what's going on? And you're like, oh, I'm on blood. They're like, oh, my grandma's mm-hmm. on that. And I'm like, if one more person tells me that their grandparents are on it, like, you're just like, I'm 41. I'm not your grandma. I'm not your grandpa. I'm 41. Um, but it greatly limits what you yeah. can do. So my soccer, over. Like, you just, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was one time walking 
and pulled the back of my calf to where I had a bruise from above my knee to behind my calf, just walking. So it just, it's, it was, it was tricky and it was hard. And I had little, I had little kids. And so I'm still thinking like, okay, what is this going to look like? I mean, I was really wondering, I'm like, okay, so am I going to get multiple myeloma in the next year or two and be gone? That's a disease that has no cure. Um, so, you know, it was, it was, it was very challenging. Well, and how have you grieved that? Because here you are 41, um, someone's telling you, hey, your body is not going to function right, probably forever. How, how have you grieved that? I think I grieved it by, well, first, the first answer was pullback. Mm. I'm like, I just became scared. I became scared of doing anything. And that really wasn't who I am. Um, and I think the way that I got out of it is I had some friends uh, that invited me to go to oh, somewhere in Florida. Oh, the Keys. And I, I really was trying not to go because I'm like, I can't ride a bike for that long. I'm going to hold you guys back. They're like, no, we're going to get you a three-wheel bike. You'll be fine. Just come on. It'll, and they've kind of, I, I didn't really want to go, but they forced me to go. But I was really upfront. I was like, I'm probably not going to be able to make this. Mm. And I did. And I had a great time. And I danced and I laughed and I didn't think mm. about anything. And it just, it was, for me, it was so vital because it was a time when these three girls poured into me and they brought me along knowing that I may not be able to make it. And they, and they, I guess it was for me, it was permission to start living Mm. life again. It was permission to not be scared. It was permission because everybody was always like, every time you go out of town on these big trips, you get sick, which is actually kind of true. But to me, I was like, this was going to happen no matter what. And I don't want to stop traveling because of this. Um, And so I think about a year later, um, after that, I decided to go to Mm -hmm. India by myself. I had another girlfriend that I hadn't seen in probably 15, 20 years. She's like, you should come to India with me. And I was like, okay. I remember (laughs) you telling us you were taking this trip. It was was so spontaneous. We were all inspired though. At first I was like, what the heck? And then I was like, oh my gosh, do it. Yes, do it. It was very inspiring. And I think for me, it was kind of this test. I was like, okay. If I can make it to India and back on my own and pretty much not die from a disease afterwards, yeah. <laughs> then yeah. I'm going to be okay and I'm willing to risk it. While you were there too in India, you tell tell everyone what you were like studying or like experiencing in India because you just had this incredible trip that you got to go on. I, I think it was just, you know, I feel like if you can make it in India you know, alone or by yourself. Because it was really my first international trip without my husband, without my family, without all of these things. And I'm like, and just having come off, like everybody was like, you're going to come back and die. (laughs) Like, we know you. Like, you are going to be so sick. Like, you know, everybody was just like, what the hell are you thinking? But I was like, there's no stopping me now. Because if I make it, there's nothing I can't do. And so it was kind of that attitude of just like, you know, and it's probably a lot of how I've always run my life. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I can't do this. And there's a slight chance I'm not going to make it. I'm going to fail. I may die, get run up, you know, whatever. But I always am like, but what if I could? And it, it was just, it was just kind of one of those things that it was like a, it was a what if I could. And so it was very much a coming out of, mm-hmm. it was kind of like my, hey, I might be sick sometimes, but 
I, I don't care. I love Yolo. that, Carissa. And I, you know, I, I find myself Yolo. stopping for a second and like Yolo. asking like... <laughs> like how how many of us are are Eagle stopping break. ourselves from doing things just because of that question, yeah. right? And maybe instead we should be asking ourselves that question of, but what what if I could do that? What if what if I I could give myself permission, right, to live life again? What if I could really build my business to fund my best life? What if I could not be afraid to test my body. And if I fail, I feel forward. Like, gosh, what a powerful question, Krissa. That's amazing. And I think that's amazing. the one thing, and I don't know why this is kind of a morbid thing to focus on, but what I was really focused on was I don't want to lay yeah. on my deathbed and look back and say, I wish I would have done this. And I think a lot of people, when they have these very you know life-altering experiences, you come mm-hmm. away with something. And I thought, well, this is going to make me yeah. be different. I'll be a better mother. I'll be a better thing. And I think what it made me realize, I'm like, this is it. Like we have, like, I just don't want to be hopefully an old lady, you know, Wishing. laying there yeah. all alone, possibly because right. we don't know what's going to happen. Um, right. yeah. going, I wish I would have tried. I wish I would have lived a little I love that. Well, I read that great book by Bronnie Ware, The Five Regrets of the Dying. That's one of the yes. regrets. You know, she was a palliative nurse and she interviewed people on their deathbed and she asked them about their regrets. And that was one of mm-hmm. their top five regrets. They they regretted the things that they didn't do, not that the things yeah. that they did. And so in a way, you know, I'm not going to say you got a gift, but in a way you got a gift uh, because... Yeah. Of course. Yes. Well, you have to yeah, look at it as a gift. I mean, of course. you have to. I mean, they're ha- they're sometimes we don't mm-hmm. see them, but they're always there. We just have to get past the point that uh, to where we can see them. So that was your first hard thing, and it continues to be a hard thing for you. Um, and then what happened? So then, you know, I have this awesome retreat in Belize with some of my dear friends, and this challenge is laid down, and I accept the challenge. Like, and and and. And it's 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 amazing to have people that can say these things to you with love, but also with like, hey, <laughs> not joking around. And I just knew, and I think for me, I had all I had never really made, I knew how to do our financials. I could read them, but I never really had to understand them because my sister was a CPA and she was all these different things. Mm-hmm. And she could explain things to me in a way that I didn't understand. And I know if I ever got stuck, she could help me. Mm-hmm. Um so in January, I was at Inman and I get a call that says, um, Leslie is at the hospital. She's having surgery. We don't exactly know what happened. Um, and, you know, but she's had a brain. And illness. Leslie is your sister. And Leslie is my sister. So I have three sisters. So I have three sisters, Elizabeth, who works with me now, and Leslie. And so we all three work together. Leslie ran our Austin team. And so I'm kind of, I'm literally about to board a plane in New York and we switched stuff. And I I ended up not being able to switch. I flew to Dallas and I went straight to Austin. But that was the longest trip that I've ever had in my entire life. And I have flown to Thailand. Um, And... I just so happened on the way back. I don't know why I always remember this, but I had a middle seat. 
And it was the first time in my entire life. So if you have can't tell, I'm kind of an emotional person. I'm a feeler. Um, but it was the first time where I had ever cried in public and could not stop. And I had a middle seat. Um, and I cannot imagine, and this is not like a little cry. This is sobbing, booger. I mean, the whole thing, I could not stop. Um, I just want to reach through I, right now and give you a giant I hug know, for even sharing that, Carissa. Like, I just, I feel it. Oh, yeah. It was, oh. it was one of the hardest at that moment, it was one of the hardest things that it, that just that unknown and not being able to say, come, don't come. And so ultimately I get to Austin, um, besides her husband, I'm the first one there, I think. And she doesn't look good. So they had transferred her from uh, hospital in Cedar Park to Del Seton in downtown Austin. And they were open and they said like, look, this is going to be a journey. It's you know, it may take us a few days to know what's going on. Um, mm. And I don't know if they said, it was kind of a blur, you know, call people down. But I had already said, you know, based on what Pat said, like, everybody needs to come. So at that point, mm. my, all of my family, the kids were on their way with Jay. Um, my sister, my mom and dad, like everybody was coming. And um, and it's a, it's a big family, obviously. And so we were with her all that night. And, you know, it's just this, I don't know how to explain it. And I think when you're the oldest, you feel something a little bit different. Yeah. You know, she was she was the first, she's your built-in best friend. She's the first person I, you know, she was my sister. She's two years apart from me. Um, I have never, I've never had my own bedroom uh, mm. ever really until recently. And so I've never had that happen. And um, I've always shared a bed with her or not shared a bed, shared a bedroom with her. So two twin beds, probably in a nine by nine room with a little dresser or a little mm. table in between. And that's the way I grew up. And um, so she was just kind of always there. And so you're there. And, you know, when I get in that place of like, okay, I have to figure this out. To me, all I knew that is that I could pray and the doctor said it would take some time. So I booked hotel rooms, uh, I think two hotel rooms for three or four days and then we'll figure out what happened. And, you know, things weren't looking good. They kept doing tests. Um, and the next day, you know, I remember being in the parking lot um, of the hospital and they had said, we're going to do some tests. I went outside being in the parking lot. And just breaking down mm. and praying that, um, you know, that if, 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 if there was a miracle to have, like, please give us this miracle. We can't lose her. You know, she's a part of our family. Like, mm. please just give us this miracle. Um, and when I walked back upstairs, one of the things they, they just said, um, I don't remember if they said we pronounced Leslie dead or she's dead. Like, I mean, mm. I, and I, I'm just like, what are you talking about? Like, you said you were just going to test her. I went outside and I come back in and she's right there. Like, I still see her. She looks the exact same. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I did learn a lot about the process of organ donation through yeah. that. But you're just, you can't even believe it. You know, my parents were there. My whole family was there. And at this point, our extended family had come in and it was just you're just in shock yeah. because you're like, you said three days. Yeah. Like you said, this we, this was going to take some time. And like, how all of a sudden do you know? Yeah. You know, what changed? Yeah. 
what, yeah. what, what happened? I just went outside. Like, and within probably 30 minutes, we were having the conversation about organ donation. Wow. Like it was that fast. And, I, you know, I don't know what made me just kind of hang on to, um, I don't know what made me hang on, but I think it was because my parents and her husband were in a place that they couldn't. Um, and they came in and they just said, Leslie was had chosen to be an organ donor. And, um, you know, that was her choice. But y'all have a choice. What do you want to do? And um, Pat, I don't know if he was in there or my parents were, but they both said, and my mom for sure said no. And I said, absolutely. I don't know why, but I was like, absolutely not. No, we like, if this is what she said she wanted to do, we're doing it. And to me, I'd never really even thought a lot about organ donation, but I mean, I knew how Leslie was. And if Leslie made her mind up to do something, that was it. it. Like, I mean, that's the kind of person that she is. You either, you know, is Leslie's way or the highway. So I just did it. And I mean, it was in in many ways, incredibly hard, but also a a huge blessing because it gave me something to hold on to. And so just going through that process with her and being with her until um, the very end when they wheeled her away to go to do the surgery was very hard because I was the only one that was there, but it was also, I just felt I had to do it. That was tricky. That was very hard. It's heartbreaking, Krista. I mean, and she's, she's younger than you. You've just gone through all of this health crisis yourself. Um, she's your business partner, your best friend, your business partner and your your sister. sister. Yeah. And your numbers person. And my numbers person. So really that number thing and the path and the math, all of that happened during that time because I know I called probably each one of you to try to get to you to explain things to me. And I mean, I don't know. I can't tell you the number of people that I called. I'm like, it still doesn't make sense to me. And I would sit at the office (laughs) with the office and just with papers all around me and just cry and cry and cry. And and I would just be like, if Leslie was here, she could do this or she would help me. But I also knew, I don't know, I just, I, I knew it was just, it, by doing it, it was a way to hold on to Leslie. Um, it sucked because I felt like if she had been there, she would have helped me. Um, and But it was ultimately Tiffany who explained it to me in a way that made sense. And she also told me, you are trying to change the laws of accounting. And... <laughs> And I'm like, but it doesn't make sense. And she's like, I understand. Yeah. She's like, I understand. I said, you know, but it doesn't make sense. And she's like, but just this is how this works. I'm like, okay. And for whatever reason, that 50th time that someone told me, it just made sense. And and it became something that I worked on and was very proud of um, because you know, I mean, I think we can all say I'm not a math person. But we're all math yeah, people. Like, we have everywhere. to be math people. Because, yeah. Also, your catchphrase, the path is in the math, is like, it's it's famous now. It's Everybody it does is it. Famous. Yeah. Well, it is. I heard that from somebody else. So I was like, it doesn't matter. Like, and we heard it like the, I repeated the, the best yes. idea. Like, what do they say? The good ideas are borrowed. The best ideas are stolen. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And a shout out to (laughs) Tiffany Fikes on that. I think one of her superpowers is taking super complicated things and breaking them down to very simple things. Like she taught me how to knit. So shout out to Tiffany. She is so smart. 
um, and just really great yeah. about taking things and, and breaking them down to where you can you can really digest them. Yeah. Um, so you're you're now on this journey. You're becoming not just a a great salesperson and a great leader. You're also becoming a really strong business person. You are still grieving, you know, in a lot of ways, the loss of your sister and still processing through that. What happens after that? So what happens after that is I think life shows up and what we don't think about, and, and I can, and so this is kind of a, uh, an interesting topic. I mean, I consider myself very vulnerable. I wrote and wrote and wrote for about a year after Leslie passed. I mean, I poured it out there. I was in therapy. I was doing all of the things. It was very hard. And I had a daughter go to college, first daughter going to college. And there just reached a breaking point where I realized like, I think I tried to manage grief, which just is very dumb. <laughs> I mean, I think we probably all do it, but it just didn't work. Like it was a good plan, but it, I think so much of my last for at least five years has been about giving up <laughs> control, realizing what is in my control and what is not in my control. And so ultimately, I, I think last year, it, it reached a breaking point where my mental health was not in a good place. And, and I'm not, you know, I felt like I'm one of the people that, that does all the things. Like I'm vulnerable. I'm authentic. I have close knit friend groups. I have peer support. I have family You're support. You're grateful. I have you all journal. these things. Mm-hmm. And yet. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, and you're very self-aware too. Like you're really great at communicating where you are. Yeah. I, I, I feel mm-hmm. like yeah. I am. Um, and yet I found myself in a situation where, and I think where I, I, I realized yeah. I had lost control. Um, and not like when we write about it, ha 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 on Facebook lost control. Like I no longer recognized who I was. And it was like this slow wilting in of oneself. And I realized in spite of seeing a therapist and doing all the things, um, and, and just, being so supported, I had turned inward and I was slowly pushing people away. And it, it's like Gary says, it's like, it was so, you were losing so slowly, you thought that you were winning. And and that was truly where I was. And so last summer, you know, in the midst of, you know, some pretty tough marital problems, some still grieving the loss of my sister and not really understanding that my mental health was really at stake, I think that I, I lost control. And I, I felt very guilty. Uh, I felt because I, I just, I felt very guilty. And so I felt guilty because I knew better. I felt guilty because, you know, I, I have experienced what, you know, when we talk about suicide and suicide awareness, um, I think it's a great concept, but until it strikes you, and I think everybody has seen it, known it, but when it is within a family, when it is within close friends, it definitely feels mm-hmm. different. And you can um, be yeah. sympathetic towards people when it happens and you can feel that pain, but until it hits you right at home, um, I think sometimes it it doesn't seem real. And I think for me, I had seen it. Mm. I saw the wake um, that it had leave. I had seen it through my family. I had seen it um, 
with a friend. And and so I knew the weight that it did, but yet somehow I was this self-aware person, well-supported, who all had all these things. And yet I I somehow ended up there. And where was that? And it was, it it was in a hotel room um, with a bunch of pills, never intending to do anything like that. And yet it happened. And I think, you know, my therapist told me that the line between hope and despair is razor thin. And and I believe that to be true. I, you know, I've always considered myself a hopeful person and I could recognize in myself things were changing. Like I was doing things that weren't me. I didn't feel like myself. But if you had said, are you depressed? I would have said no. Because I got up every day, I did the things. I wasn't like the commercial where, you know, I mean, because I got things done. Like I figured it out. Now it could be really ugly sometimes. I mean, there were times where I would freaking ball, lose my mind, you know, throw stuff, whatever. But I still got up and I did the shit. Sure. I did. I mean, I I, I did the things. Yeah. I yeah, I mm-hmm. did. And to me. Mm-hmm. But that I think for those of us that like. knew and, you, we all knew something was wrong. I mean, you were yeah. withdrawing, you didn't engage, you, um, you know, we, we, I, I always love your like amazing, thoughtful, vulnerable posts on Facebook. Those yes. completely disappeared. And yes. um, so, I mean, they're, they're what you were maybe doing your job or whatever, but I mean, you weren't yourself at all. Well, I wasn't living my life. I was just literally in full, like hanging on by a thread, but, right. but I'm still, I was seeing the a therapist. I mean, yeah. I was doing right. the things like I was still talking to people, but I just, I think it was very obvious. I wasn't me. Like that part had gone away. And, um, I was very thankful and I felt very fortunate because it happened to be at the end of, um, Mm-hmm. kind of like a cycle of the pills. So I, I didn't have that many. Um, but my my doctor's like, the only reason that you that you were okay was because you've taken these pills for a really long time and you were able to. But the I think when you come to terms, and I didn't tell my mm-hmm. therapist for probably a month, I was so ashamed because mm-hmm. I, I felt like I had no reason. And in my head, I was like, you know how many people would look at my life and say, what, you know, you know, what a charmed life you live. You have this amazing family. You have a husband, you have a business, you, you have, you know, money in the bank, a house over your head, you know, all the things, you have people who are around you and support you. Yet there I was. And, um, no, and, and I had two tattoos and license plate that said I was, and I was not. I just wasn't. And I didn't want to, I, I don't know, but I think the, the the beauty of the beauty of what came out of that was that I realized like I have to make a change. You know, no one is coming to save me. This has to start with me. And I think that was when I started opening up um, to some friends about how I was feeling. It was very small, but it just became my entire focus shifted to to just this like you are in self preservation mode period. This is no longer self care. This is you got a wake up call and you either fix this or you're in you know mm. well and 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 often you can't fix it by yourself. I mean, and often you need outside help. And so 
no, if anybody's, if anybody's listening, yeah, most yeah. often you can't do it by yourself. Yeah. And, and I got that, but a huge part of that for me was, you know, this authentic, vulnerable person who had now mm-hmm. shut herself off. I realized like I was not having the convert, like, what do I not want to talk about? Like, that's, and we talked about it our last... right there. Just that's probably like we said at our last event, it was, what do I not want to be talking about? And that's probably what we should be focusing the most on. Yeah. And, and for me, I, I think that was it. I, and I realized like, I have all these people who want mm-hmm. to help me, but it has to start with me first. Like I have to get outside help. But for me, just personally, I had to be willing to, I don't want to say be embarrassed, but I guess be ashamed and still do it. Be scared to say it because it makes me, it may not, it, I don't think it made you guys feel any differently. And I guess y'all didn't really know, but it made me feel differently. It made me feel like I was now in a group of people or in a category that I knew better than to be in. But yet, well, and yeah, I think it's like most things that that are shameful. There I was. You know, it's like we blame ourselves somehow, somehow yeah. or you know, if you've ever been sexually assaulted, you know, you feel like it's your fault. Yeah. You feel what, what dirt, did I do? Dirty, yeah. and why was it my fault? Mm-hmm. And so that's where that's that's the uh, the insidious thing about shame. Mm-hmm. It is, and and I think where we are right now is, and where I am is that like. You know, my life right now is not what I thought it was going to be. And grieving the lies, the, 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 you know, at first I thought I was angry. I read something that said, you know, I sat down with my anger and then she introduced herself as grief. And I just was, for a long time, I was just really pissed. I mean, I was just Understandably. mad. I'm like, this wasn't yeah. what supposed my, my life was supposed to be like. Yeah. I did the right things. We did the right things. Yet, why are we here? And so I think for me that part of talking about this, um, and I think one of the things I've always loved about having the opportunity to speak to people on a larger scale is to be able to say, this is me. And I don't know if this is you, but I'm still here. I'm flawed and, and and it's okay. And if that makes one person feel okay to be just a little bit more honest and a little bit more to say, hey, you know, I'm working my butt off and it may look good, but inside there's still a lot of stuff going on and I'm still working and I'm still trying. And that's to me, yeah. one of the beauties of Keller Williams and being able to have that stage is be able to say, yeah, I want to talk about what I've accomplished, mm-hmm. but I also want to talk to you about what's going on mm-hmm. in here and, and what's going on in the background. And so, you know, I'm now in a position where, um, you know, we, I, I, I have an amazing business partner, yeah. um, but who's no longer going to be my spouse. That's super hard. It happens yeah. every day in real estate, but it's still my life. It's still his life. And it still feels like something. We're still doing great. Everything from a team perspective, but to say, oh yeah, it's just, you know, rainbows and unicorns over here is not true. It doesn't jeopardize what's happening on our team because that we've always done really well, but it is hard to, you know, be there and be looking at your life and say, you know, I'm 28 years into this. And and, and I think he feels the same way. I'm 28 years into this and, mm. and we are starting over. We're very lucky to have 
um, an amazing group of people that we work with, an amazing support system uh, that loves both of us. But to say that we're both not freaking disappointed and heartbroken. I mean, that's grief. I think for so long, I was just angry. And then I realized, I'm like, Mm. you know, this is what grieving looks like. This is Mm. what grieving the health that you thought you would have. Grieving, you know, the family that you thought you would have. Grieving the family unit that you thought you would have. Looking back and saying, we were really pretty good. Like we did the right things. And yet here we are. But I think we're always given these opportunities. And even through the, the, the hardest times with Leslie, I had this weird sense of, of gratefulness. Um, and, it, and that didn't mean that I wasn't struggling. It didn't mean that I didn't cry all the time, but I always felt grateful. It has been more hard, I would say, this last year because I think this was mm-hmm. this was nitty gritty. This was talking about things and dealing with things on a on a real level that I had never been to. And you know, I think the the beauty of therapy is that we get to talk about stuff um, and we get to talk about our feelings and we need to work through things. One of the things that I've always said is <laughs> I would love to go to therapy when I don't actually need it because. <laughs> It would be way more fun. I mean, the journey of the, the the journey of doing the work to to address the things yeah. from childhood, to address the things that you did wrong in your marriage from when you met your husband at nineteen, to address all those things. That's the hard work, you know, and. Not that I wasn't vulnerable before, but like when I had to deal with those things with me, I always say I love new, hard, challenging things. But what I realized is I love new, hard, <laughs> challenging fair. things that I'm going to be totally good fair. at. This was something that, <laughs> that I, I'm like, and I realized I'm like, you're a liar because you only like this because you know you're going to be good at it. It may be new, but you know you're going to, you know, win this. But, you know, when you're doing stuff where everything is on the line, and you don't know what's going to happen. And I would argue that um, just by doing what you're doing and sharing your message right now, you are you are good at it. And yeah. I, I do hope that And you're you, actually winning at it. Yeah. Yeah. And I do hope you continue to share yourself because you do have very powerful stories inside of you, Carissa. And I know you have you have books. And um, and blogs and essays and journals and everything that does need to be shared with the world. It does need and, to be shared. And I mm-hmm. I want that for you. So yeah. So where does uh, where does Chris go next? Where do where do you go from here? You know what's interesting is I don't actually know. I mean, I think the first thing is to just get more of a routine right now. That's really what I need. Um, I just mm-hmm. I, I I need some more routine in my life, and I think kind of, I'm, I'm starting to realize kind of the fun part of where I am now is Carissa can go wherever she wants. Like, I mean, that's the thing. And, and although I don't have certainty, there is beauty in knowing that anything is an option. I think I've always felt that way about weddings and graduations. Like they're the most special days because everything is ahead of you. You know, anything is an option and, and you only everything is ahead of you. And I think that I'm in that place where everything is ahead of me. 
And, mm. you know, that's what I'm holding on to. And that's what I'm striving for is to just really hold on to the real me, be as authentic as possible in the hopes that it helps one other, you know, person who's feeling exactly like I am and who's struggling with their story to maybe own it just a little bit more and to be okay saying like, I may have two tattoos and a license plate that says I'm fine, but right now I'm just kind of not. So, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of really positive things. And for me, having this conversation is a part of my healing. I mean, it was a part because, you know, this is who I am. This is real. It's not always pretty. It's actually not pretty a lot of times, but this feels real. This is me. So, wow. I I can't wait to see the next chapter that you write. And and what that looks like for you truly. I mean, you know, here I am. I'm just still just like wiping up my tears over here. So, don't, you know, it's fine. I'm fine. Um, it's fine. Um, but, you know, oh, sorry, Wendy, go ahead. Oh, I just was going to say thank you so much for um, sharing and being authentic and being vulnerable today. I mean, yeah. um, I could probably speak for Seychelles uh, when I say that, you know, this, I think this is the, the best interview we've ever done. And um, I appreciate so many things about you. I appreciate you sharing your grief. I appreciate you sharing mm-hmm. your shame and humiliation uh, because speaking those things is powerful and it gives it gives power and encouragement to other people. That's right. And um, you do have amazing gifts to share. And um, I know you're not fine now, but you will be. You mm-hmm. will be fine someday and we'll all be fine with you together. Yeah. So yeah, we will. Yeah. yeah. And I I love the the quote that you gave me to run with Carissa, which is to ask myself all the time, but what if I could? And I think you gave a lot of our listeners permission to live life again, but I think you've also given yourself permission to live life again and to and to chart the path that you want to have. And we're really proud and honored to to call you our dear friend and, and proud of your journey and excited to see where it goes. Yeah. I love you guys so much. Yes. We, we love, love you too. We love Carissa. you too. And uh, for those of you that are listening, thank you for joining us on the journey. This was definitely uh, not a big business episode, but a bigger life episode because yeah. life does happen and who you surround yourself with matters. And mm-hmm. um, we thank you guys so much for joining us today. So go out there and live a big business and even bigger life. Take care. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to Empire Building. If you like what you heard, join our tribe by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform and help us spread the word by leaving a five-star rating and review. Until next time, wishing you a life worth living. And remember, you are an empire builder.